When I look out over all, all of you, I see a lot of red and some green. So it's Christmas. It's Christmas. We're going to continue uh, the journey that we began two Sundays ago by looking at Christmas and the Christmas story through the eyes of, the, of Matthew, one of the disciples of Christ. And he wrote his account, but as we've already noted, as he began in chapter 1, he starts with the genealogy, and then he, then he gives little vignettes, little, little pieces of the story of Christ's coming. And each, each piece, each little vignette, has in it an Old Testament passage. And he is telling the story, looking through the eyes of the Old Testament, and seeing how this coming of the Christ is a fulfillment of what God has said would happen, even down to some very interesting details. By the way, we're going to end this little series today because it's the Christmas, the, la- the last uh, Sunday before Christmas. But a couple of years ago, I, I meditated on the fourth vignette, which has been called the slaughter of the innocents, which follows the passage we're looking at today. And we've got that on CD. So if you want to hear the next little vignette, just grab the CD on the way out and you'll get four for the price of three. <clears throat> But let's look uh, again at this story, at the way that, that uh, Matthew looked at it. You remember he began with a quote from Isaiah. And then last week, <clears throat> excuse me, we looked at a quote from Micah. And this week he quotes Hosea. So turn with me to chapter 1, verse 1 of Hosea. If you're using one of our Bibles, it's on page 1072. Hosea comes after um, Daniel. Uh, it's, uh, he's called the first of the minor prophets. And those, the, there's the major prophets, the minor prophets. The major, it's not uh, referring to their importance. It's referring to their size. So of the smaller prophecies and books of the Old Testament prophets, Hosea is actually one of the longer of them, and he's put first. Now, if you look there at chapter 1... <clears throat> Verse 1, we see an interesting story occurring. And you'll find that what's happening in the life of Hosea and in his speaking and his preaching to the people is that God is blending the, Hosea and what happens in his life. He's, he's taking not only uh, a message that God wants to give, but he shows the message through the prophet's life. So that what happens in his life is linked with what his message is. And indeed, it's an amazing, amazing story. It is not necessarily an all pretty story. It's not a nice story, but it's an amazing story. Let's start at verse one. It says the word of the Lord, which came to Hosea, the son of Biri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. If you've been paying attention, you might have noticed that over the last couple weeks that some of those kings that are mentioned are the same as before. And sure enough, these prophecies that that uh, Matthew has gone back to look at concerning the birth of Christ and the coming of the Messiah... Isaiah, Micah, Hosea, they all, their lives overlapped with each other. 
Not exactly, but they overlap. So these, all these prophets came from the same time, which, as you'll remember, and amazingly so, this was 700 years before Christ walked on the earth. Now we pick up the story in verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord, through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry, for the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. God tells Hosea to go down to the red district and pick a wife for himself from among the prostitutes. That's what, he, that's what he's saying. That's what harlotry is. Uh, it's translated in various ways, depending on the translation you use. Whoredom, prostitution, harlotry. It's the same, same idea. And so the prophet is told to do this. And he goes and he does it. You look at verse 3. So he went and took Gomer the daughter of Diblaim. Now, first, we just got to get over her name because the only other Gomer I know is Gomer Pyle. All right, so let's just get that out of the way. So this Gomer is a woman. In that day and in that place, Gomer was the name of a woman. So here we've got Hosea, and he goes and he takes Gomer. Now, he marries Gomer. And and then in verses 3 to the end of the chapter, they have children. And there's some significance to the names that the children are given. And that all has a part to do with the story. But we're not going to take time to go into each of, each of those uh, now. But we pick up again the story at verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Say to your brothers, now this is uh, Hosea speaking, say to your brothers, Ami, which means uh, my people, and to your sisters, Ruhama, which means she's obtained compassion or mercy. Contend with your mother, contend, for she is not my wife and I am not her husband. And let her put away her harlotry from her face. What's happening here? Uh, these are your children. I mean, she's your mother and I'm your father, but she's not my wife. Here's what's happened. Gomer now has left She's left and deserted Hosea, and she's gone off for another man or for other men. She's returned to her harlotry. That's what's happened here. You see, he's saying to his own children that he's had with her, contend with your mother, you see in verse 2. Contend with her, because she's not my wife. I'm, I'm not her husband. Let her put away her harlotry from her face. So this woman that, that um, Hosea has gone and, and taken Out of her situation, she's gone back. She's gone back to it. Well, what's life like then for her? Look at verse 5 to 7. For their mother has played the harlot. She who conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will go after my lovers who give me my bread and my water, my wool and my flax, my oil and my drink. Therefore, behold, I will hedge her up with thorns and I will build a wall against her so that she cannot find her paths. She will pursue her lovers, but she will not overtake them and she will seek them, but will not find them. Then she will say, I will go back to my first husband for it was better for me then than now. You see, what happens is life gets hard 
now for Gomer. She finds herself getting what she strayed away to get, but then realized that it wasn't so good after all. And isn't, isn't that the truth for us? When we want something that's not God's will, we finally, he lets us have it, and then we wished we didn't have it. So she's now finding life is hard. But now, then, what, what's uh, Hosea going to do in this situation? Look down at verse 14. Therefore, behold, I will allure her. So this is chapter 2, 14. I will allure her, bring her into the wilderness, and speak kindly to her. Then I will give her her vineyards from there. And the valley of Achor is a door of hope. There's hope. And she will sing there as in the days of her youth. He's going to woo her back to himself. As in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. What? Aha! Wait a minute. This is God speaking about Israel. Do you see that reference to Egypt there? Uh, Gomer didn't come from Egypt, but the people of God, the Israelites, they, they came out of Egypt. And so, ah, so here we see that he's speaking about what Hosea is doing with Gomer, but he's also saying that this entire scenario with your life, Hosea, and your life, Gomer, it's illustrating what's happening between God and his people. It's the same thing. It's like a living parable in front of people's eyes. They're... um, We see that 14 and 15 is talking about Hosea and Gomer, but it is talking about God and his people, Israel. So what does Gomer do? We'll look to chapter 3. Excuse me, what does Hosea do? Chapter 3 then, verse 1. Then the Lord said to me, go again. Love a woman who is loved by her husband, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I bought in that. That's just so interesting. When we trade away loving God, the thing we trade that away for looks so big to us, but in the end, it's just a raisin cake. That's all it is. Verse two. So I bought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer and a half of barley. And then I said to her, you shall stay with me for many days. And so what's happened here is that somehow it appears that that Gomer in her bad estate, perhaps even sells herself into slavery. She's she's out there in this hard world getting what she asked for. And she's trapped and her faithful husband comes And buys her back. He buys her right back out of slavery and buys her back to himself. Back to himself. This is an amazing story. Amen? Is this amazing? I want you to note some lessons here about the parallel between Hosea and his wife Gomer and God and his people. First of all, just as Gomer was initially unworthy, so God's people were unworthy she was living a life of prostitution and hosea goes and chooses her and takes her to himself 
And so it was with the people of God. You remember the people of Israel, they started with Abraham, who was at that point named Abram. God changed his name later. But, but what was that like? I mean, think of it. There's, there's the whole earth, all these people. There is no people of God. There is no special people of God yet. And God, he looks over it all and he says, what I'm going to do is I'm going to find the, the best guy there. Is that what he did? Not at all. Not at all. Listen to the way Abraham is described and his family members in Joshua chapter 24, verse 2. It says, Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, from ancient times, your fathers lived behind the river, namely Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nahor. And they, all three of them, served other gods. They were idolaters. They were idolaters. Just like Gomer. They were unworthy of God's love. They were unworthy to be picked by him. And yet God picked them. Amen? God saw a person. He chose him, not because he was worthy, but for his own reasons. And he chose Abraham and says, I'm going to make a nation out of you. This is going to be a special people. And from that special people, I'm going to bring this special one, the Messiah, who's going to come and rectify what's wrong with this world. Well, secondly, another parallel. Just as Hosea married Gomer, so God has become Israel's husband. You know, the Exodus was a giant marker for the people of Israel. It was an ever-to-be-remembered demonstration that these people were God's special people. We saw it there. You look at chapter 2 again, verse 15. It says, And she will sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the days when she came up from the land of Egypt. When she came up from the land of Egypt. Forever after, by by um, proclamation of God, by rites and ceremonies that the people of Israel were to, to do every year to remember. They're coming out. They're being delivered up out of, is, of uh, Egypt, marked them as a people and said something giant and significant about the way God is relating to them. In Isaiah 54, verse 5. It says, when God, uh, Isaiah is speaking to them, he said, to the people of Israel, he says, for your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts. So just as uh, Hosea now has taken Gomer and become her husband, God has taken the people of Israel and become and made a special relationship with them. But then... Thirdly, just as Gomer had been untrue to Hosea, Israel had been untrue to God. Look at chapter 5. Isaiah, uh, Hosea, chapter 5. Look at verses 3 and 4. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, O Ephraim, you have played the harlot. Israel has defiled itself. Their deeds will not allow them to return to their God, for a spirit of harlotry is within them, and they do not know the Lord. The people of God who had 
um, been the recipient of such an un- unbelievable, gracious work of God in their in their lives. He chose them and treats them in a special way. They turn and they go off after other gods. They reject this one who has been their husband and seek after others. Well, just then as Gomer had become enslaved to her lovers, so Israel had been enslaved to those who that they had trusted. Look a little bit farther down in chapter 5 and verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, you see, it wasn't so great. They went after what they were looking for and they found sickness and wounds. So when they saw it, it says, where'd they go? Then Ephraim went to Assyria, not to God. They went out after Assyria and sent to King Jareb, not even an Israelite, but he is unable to heal you or to cure you of your wound. Israel, the people of God, had become enslaved to others. And they went out to others in their spiritual harlotry. They went out to others and they didn't find help like they were hoping to find. And in that case, in that kind of situation, though, we see the final parallel between Hosea and God and Gomer and the people of Israel. Look at chapter 11. So this is Hosea chapter 11. And here's God's response to this people that have spurned him. Verse 8. How can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I surrender you, O Israel? How can I make you like Adma? How can I treat you like Zeboim? My heart is turned over within me. All my compassions are kindled. I will not execute my fierce anger. I will not destroy Ephraim again, for I am God and not man, the Holy One in your midst, and I will not come in wrath. They will walk after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. Indeed, he will roar, and his sons will come trembling from the west. They will come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the land of Assyria, and I will settle them in their houses, declares the Lord. Just as Hosea restores Gomer, God restores the remnant of his people out of the people of Israel. He roars like a lion. And the remnant comes because of that roar, not of their own, because he sought them out. Just as as Hosea goes to the slave market and seeks Gomer out and pays a price and brings her back to himself, God roars and brings his people fluttering like birds back from where they were, back to him. And in all of this, what I hope you see is that there is an overwhelming message here of God's grace. Is God's grace. It's not deserved. His goodness to us is not deserved. That is what the the message of Hosea is. And in the midst of this prophetic word to the people of that time, you know, we, we, have, we don't have time to look at every chapter, and, but there's a great confrontation taking place here between God using Hosea and the people concerning their sin. 
Nothing what I've said so far is to belittle their sin. God wasn't taking their sin lightly. Matter of fact, over and over again, he says, you're guilty of this and you're guilty of that. You've got to change. You've got to change. And in the midst of all of that, there comes in chapter 11, where we just read, what some Bible scholars call a parenthetical utterance dealing with the triumph of divine love and mercy. This parenthesis is in chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. I read the second half of it, but not the first yet. And you see this parenthesis, if you would read all of Hosea, you would see how this piece stands out. Like, like the one scholar said, it's an utterance dealing with the triumph of divine love and mercy. And this is how it starts in verse 1. When Israel was a youth, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. Out of Egypt, I called my son. That in the middle of this message that's saying that God's mercy triumphs over people's sin. God's grace is extended to those who spurn him. Out of Egypt, I will, I will call my son. Now keep your finger in Hosea. We're going to come back. But turn over to Matthew chapter 2. It's on page 1142. We've seen this story so far. God used angels and prepared Mary and Joseph. And they realized that, and Joseph realized, and Mary realized that this child she is carrying will be human but also divine. And then we see that they, they are, they are um, in Bethlehem. And Mary gives birth, but there's this astounding arrival of people from the east, the Magi, that stir up Jerusalem, and especially Herod. And Herod sends them, you know, go, go find this one in Bethlehem and then come back to me. Of course, he had evil intent. And after they found him and worshipped Jesus, God appeared to them again or, or used a dream to tell them again, don't go back to Herod, go, go another way, and they leave. And that's where we pick up the story in verse 13. So it's Matthew 2, 13. It says, now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him. So Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt. Because you see, it's, that's outside of Herod's reign. He, he can't reach him, them there. And he remained there until, verse 15, until the death of Herod, which, by the way, was only a couple years later. And then he says this, This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Just like the nation Israel... The Messiah also would come out of Egypt in a manner that rings of triumphant grace. Triumphant grace. Matthew reaches back 
into the context of triumphant grace and sees that this little episode in the life of the Messiah was prophesied there and is taking place now. Friends, I want us to see some lessons here. It would be only appropriate to see some lessons in this concerning the grace of God. First of all, I want you to see that the grace of God is not reserved only for those with nice sins. Amen? Some people say, I, I can't be forgiven. You're not so bad, but I'm really bad. You haven't done what I've done. I can't, God can't forgive me. But the message of Hosea is that Gomer didn't deserve anything. She never did from the beginning. And she proved it then later in her, in her life. But she was the recipient of grace. There is no sin, my friend, that the grace of God cannot cover. I can't be forgiven. You haven't done what I've done. That doesn't matter. If you receive from God his gift in Jesus Christ, that counts for you. His death counts for you. That's what grace is all about. Grace is the fact that you don't deserve it. Somehow, (laughs) you see, even when you say those words, well, you haven't done what I've done. You're not as bad as I am. In saying that, you're, you're, you, without putting it into words, you're thinking that somehow, if you're, if you're not as bad as somebody else, you earn what you get from God. But grace is telling us that nobody earns it. You cannot earn it. That's what grace is all about. Other people think that, well, I'm the one, I'm in the group with the nice sins. I mean, I know I'm a sinner. The Bible says we're all sinners, but I'm not actually really that bad. I mean, like, not like those people. Look at them. Look at her. Look at him. They're bad, but I'm not really that bad. Oh, no, my friend. No, my friend. That's not what grace is. See, you're thinking in your mind that somehow, somehow you're good enough that God will look at you and say, nod his head and say, yeah, I'll, I'll forgive your sins. Even though he wouldn't do that with someone else. But that's not grace. And that's not the message of the Bible. I, I remember when I, I was in high school, I, I wrestled for a lot of my life. And uh, one time, us guys in high school... Some of us went to a wrestling camp. I told this story once, but probably so long ago you don't remember. But um, at the at the Naval Academy, so we went and we were all we thought we were pretty good, and we kind of were in our own little world. We each of us were in a small pond, and we were big fish in little ponds, and we thought we were big stuff. And so we went over to this this for for a week or two in the summer, and we thought that everybody else would be impressed with us. And um, one of the guys who was leading this, uh, coaching us, had won a silver medal in the Olympics. Okay, this guy, (laughs) 
he, I, I will never forget this. The one day we're all there on the mat and he says, okay, anybody that wants to, you can wrestle me. And he says, I'm just not going to use my hands. That's, that's incredible. If you know anything about me. So he just puts his hands behind his back and stands there and say, okay, come on. I think, are you kidding me? The first guy goes out there. He took him down and pinned him and never used his hands. If you know anything about wrestling, that's insane. You know, he somehow, he just got him all on the mat from the standing position and pinned him. And, and he stands up and says, next. Well, one guy wasn't smart enough yet. He went out he took him down and pinned him. No hands, hands behind his back. He said, next, there wasn't a next. He was so far beyond us that it didn't matter how we ranked ourselves against each other. I'm better than you, you know, you're better than me. It didn't matter. Any of that didn't matter. He was so far beyond us. None of us matched him. And my friend, that's the way it is. We're all gomers. There are differences in sin. There's differences in the seriousness of sin and in the consequences of sin. All sins are not equal in in one sense, but all sinners are equally lost. All sins are not equal, but all sinners are equally lost. None of us match up with the standard of God's holiness and purity and, and, and blazing love. None of us, we all fall short. So the grace of God is not reserved only for those with nice sins. The grace of God is for us all, and we're all gomers. Second lesson I'd like us to see about the grace of God. The grace of God is received, not earned. We've, we've said this already, but I want to say it again. Turn now. You, you, you still have your finger in Hosea, right? Look at Hosea chapter 14. I want you to see something from the way this, this uh, book ends. It's really, it's really amazing. I want you to see verse 4. So this is Hosea 14, 4. God says, I will heal their apostasy. Apostasy is just turning away and running away from God. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from them. But I want you to catch that phrase in the middle. I will love them freely. Free love from God to us means we don't deserve it. It wouldn't be that he he doesn't love us freely if we earn it. If we're good enough that, okay, now I'll I'll help you out, God says. Because you've done that and you're that good, I'll help you. No, that's not free. He says here, I will love them freely. And this fits with the whole message of Hosea. That's the whole point of Hosea. God loves freely. You don't deserve it. It reminds me of passages in the New Testament that, that echo this thought, this teaching from the old. Second Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Listen, it says, God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, in other words, according to what we've done, but according to his own purpose and grace, 
which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Amen. God, he says, he saves us and he calls us to himself. God is the one that goes into the slave market and sees you there on the stand. It's your own rebellion that got you enslaved in the first place. He's already been good to you, but you've turned away from it. And there you are. And God goes in and pays the price. That's, of course, foretelling the death of Jesus on the cross. He pays the price and he calls you off that slave auction block back to himself. You don't, you didn't do anything to earn that. He loves you freely. Titus chapter three, verse five says he saved us. Not sometimes you need to note the knots in scripture. He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. It's because of God's mercy that we are saved. It's not because we are righteous. You know, I've had a lot of different jobs in my life. Um, I'm thinking of one in particular where it was... um, I'm just thinking of a job I had as a carpenter's helper. And then, so the end of the, the two weeks comes and at the job site, the boss is there and he hands you the check for the last two weeks. What did I do when he handed me the check? Did I go, wow, oh man, oh, thanks. Oh, I can't believe it. You paid me. Oh, this is unbelievable. Oh, thank you. No, I didn't do that. I earned it. And he wasn't expecting that. I said, thanks. And I folded it up and put it in my wallet. I worked for two weeks to get that. It wasn't a gift. You know what scripture says? Romans 6, 23. For the wages, that means the paycheck. For the paycheck of sin is death. That's what you earn. That death, which is a, the punishment, is the response of God to sin. The only way a holy God can, can respond to sin. That's the paycheck. That's what you earn. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It's grace, my friend. It's grace. Grace is received as a gift. It's not earned as a wage. Third, third lesson we see here that the grace of God is supremely found in Jesus Christ. That's the point of Hosea. Although it took, it took us 700 years to actually see it clearly that when this one who was foretold in Hosea came, Matthew saw by the by the power of the spirit, he said, that's what he was talking about and points back to Hosea. But that's the point that Hosea illustrates the grace of God. But while it illustrates this marvelous grace of God, it's foretelling that the one that that will be the supreme dispenser of the grace of God, the Messiah is coming and he is Jesus Christ. Matthew has seen that already in chapter 2. But now as he tells the story, listen to what he says near the end of the book in Matthew. I'll read it for you in chapter 26. 
while they were eating, Jesus, this is the night before he was going to die. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And when he had taken a cup and given thanks, he gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. In that, Jesus was not pointing the disciples' attention to the communion table. What a, what a travesty when we get that mixed up and think that forgiveness comes from the communion table. Jesus was not pointing his disciples' attention to the communion table. He was giving them the communion table to point their attention to him. Amen? This is my body. This is my blood. The focus isn't on the communion table. The focus is on the Christ that the communion table speaks of. And that's where Matthew leaves us in his story. You see, he begins here in the beginning quoting Hosea. And in the end, he's saying, that's the focus right there. It's the, it's the Christ who sheds his blood for the forgiveness of sins. That's grace. You don't deserve it. No one who has sinned deserves the forgiveness. That's precisely the point. But the son of God, Jesus Christ came, shed his blood. And in doing so, receives the punishment that the sinner deserves and now offers that forgiveness to the sinner. The grace of God is supremely found in Jesus Christ. Fourth lesson, the grace of God, listen to this, is received. How do you receive it? How do you receive this? Do you want it? Do you want the forgiveness of your sins? Yes, How do you receive it? It's received with words. Look at Hosea again. You're still there. Chapter 14, verses 1 to 3. Beautiful passage. Return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you. That's all you can do. You can't earn it. If you were to take something else in your hand, that would mean you're somehow earning this. You can't earn it. That's the message of Hosea. That's the message of the gospel. The good news is that you can't do anything for it. So just take words. Take words with you and return to the Lord. What am I to say to him? Say to him, it says, take away all my iniquity and receive us or receive me graciously. Just receive me in your grace that we may present the fruit of our lips. Interesting. This phrase fruit of lips is echoed then in Hebrews 13 where it says through him, then Christ, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give praise to his name. That's, that's what we give him is just praise. We don't earn a thing. We come to him and with words and say, take away my sin, receive me 
in your grace. And then, and when we say that, we're saying something else, and that's in verse 3. We're saying who we're not and what we're not depending on. Look at 3. Assyria will not save us. What I used to trust in, I don't trust in anymore. We will not ride on horses. I used to think it was pretty good. I, I, had, I had good horses. They were strong. We'd win in battle. Nope, I'm not riding on horses anymore. Nor will we say again, our God, to the work of our hands. I reject everything else. Everything else I used to trust in. My own works. You see, I could make a God with my hands and trust in it. I don't trust in anything that I can do anymore. And then look at how he ends in verse 3. For in you, the orphan finds mercy. The one who has nothing finds mercy. And so... The grace of God is received with words. And I would say to you this morning that if you've not gone to Christ to find in him forgiveness of your sins, if you don't have that, if, if, if you don't know the grace of God, this grace of God, this message is for you. Go to God with words. Tell him everything else I used to depend on, I reject. Take away my iniquity. Have mercy on me. Receive me in your grace in Jesus Christ and he will do it. And there's one last lesson. Number five. Quickly, I just want to say this. That the grace of God is to be our perspective on all our life. You see, sometimes we as Christians, we get tripped up on this. As we've heard and agreed with everything I've just said, everything that we've seen in Hosea. And we realize that we cannot be saved and gain forgiveness for our sins by earning it. We're all gomers. And so we've gone to Christ and we've received forgiveness. But then we slip back into thinking that the rest of my life now is somehow not grace. I'm somehow going to earn things. One thing that's interesting in uh, 14, verse 3 again. It, it, it's just one little word. It says, Assyria will not save us. We will not ride on horses, nor will we say again. You see that word again? We're not going to say this again, our God. But that little word again, it means for the rest of my life. Every day I wake up, it's grace. Every day I wake up, it's grace. It's not just grace in coming to Christ the first time. It's grace every day as I walk with God. I don't earn his, his um, acceptance now that I've got forgiveness. It, it doesn't work. Oh, but we as Christians, we fall pray to this and we look around us with some self-righteousness in our heart thinking that well well that person doesn't know the bible as well as me and that person doesn't pray as much as i do and somehow we think that by doing what we think are spiritual things we're somehow better than other people friends do away with that it's all grace amen we're just little orphans With nobody and nothing. 
And God says, you're mine. Because I chose to make you mine. Because you're trusting me. Not, not because you've earned a thing. Relate to other people with grace. Relate to your children with grace. Do you subconsciously and unknowingly give them the impression that they've got to work hard and conform to some set of rules in order to be right with God? You'll crush their spirit if you do that. Because nobody can perform like that. Jesus performed like that and we hide ourselves in him. Amen? It's grace. It's grace. It's all grace. The grace of God is not reserved only for those with nice sins. The grace of God is received. It's not earned. The grace of God is supremely found in Jesus Christ. The grace of God is received only with words. And the grace of God is to be our perspective throughout our whole life. May God... In this Christmas season, give us a fresh sense of his grace. Let's stand together. And as we do, we thank you for your grace. We come to you with words, O Lord. And we say afresh, for some of us afresh, perhaps if there's one or two or more here that want to say it with me for the first time, we come to you and say, take away our iniquity. Take away my iniquity. And, I re- and receive me in your grace. For I trust in Jesus Christ and what he did for me. Thank you, Father. We give you our praise. And we bless you for the Lord Jesus Christ. And in his name we pray. Amen.